trauma gets like trapped in our bodies and our brains and it's it's dysfunctionally stored so their traumatic memories you can actually it gets stored as that state of when you were a child I was very lonely as a child and and I had no idea that that was trauma I couldn't feel that loneliness in in its fullness as a child Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I had to go back right as an adult and feel that and understand how that impacted me. But one wouldn't necessarily think that feeling lonely as a child was traumatic. Thanks for joining me on the Healing Compass podcast, where we bridge scientific with holistic so that you can be empowered to grow, heal and overcome in your own way. You are provided various insights and resources on a range of topics from mental health to chronic pain, because well-being is not a one size fits all and you hold the compass to your own path. I'm your host, Lori Crow, aka Sway. What message is in store for today? Let's find out. All right, so today I have with me somebody that I have been talking with for some time now and gotten to know her. And finally, we've been able to schedule this episode. I'm really excited to have her here. Welcome, Emily Daly. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Lori. I'm super excited to be here. I am too. So you are a licensed clinical social worker and women's group leader. Um, So tell me about yourself and how you came to the decision of becoming a mental health practitioner and, uh, you know, providing the services that you provide. You know, this might be a two-part question. Um, I've been a therapist for, I've been a a licensed therapist for 12 years. Um, I've been a therapist for 15 years and, um, I grew up in a really dysfunctional family, a lot of trauma. And, um, I kind of always knew that I was going to be some sort of therapist or psychologist, or at least, you know, in my late teen years, um, I, yeah, I knew that, that this was my area of interest. Um, I had some pretty influential people in my life. I had one woman who, um, she was an LCSW and I was, um, I got kicked out of my parents' house. I left three days before my 17th birthday. So I have been on my own since then. Anyway, she saw me for free for, I don't remember how long, but she saw me for free for maybe the next year because I, I left, I grew up in Pennsylvania and then I moved out to San Diego when I was 18. And so this woman saw me for free and now being, you know, a, a therapist, understanding like what that means, right. To take on somebody and see them for free for a wow. certain amount of time. Yeah. And so she was a really influential person in my life. Um, I talked about her, you know, I wrote my uh, personal statements when I went into graduate school that she really influenced me. Um, so that's what kind of originally got me into this work. And then I mean, my work has like shifted and moved a little bit, you know, over the past like 15 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll, we'll uncover some of that here. Fascinating. So what types of services do you provide specifically? Because you do have a a focus, right? So I provide individual therapy. um, I provide family therapy. I provide couples therapy. And I also facilitate groups. Um, I just started my own business. Um, It'll be a year actually next month. 
Oh, okay. I was, I was working at UCSD for um, a little over 10 years. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I left there and started up my own gig. And so, um, so I was in eating disorders for almost 11 years. So that is definitely um, an area of expertise for me, eating okay. disorders, um, DBT therapy. That's what I was initially trained in when I was in graduate school in my area of focus. And, and, and just then, to explain to the listeners, what is DBT therapy? So DBT therapy stands for dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, you know, it was originally um, developed by Marshall Linehan for people with borderline personality disorder. And so it's used for so many different things now. Um, it's a skills-based therapy. Um, so we teach four, four modules of different skills. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's very effective with eating disorders. So that's oh. the the short answer of DBT therapy. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I also specialize in trauma now and do EMDR therapy. Yeah. So. Um, and that's why you're here today. We want to uh, zero in and focus on EMDR uh, today. And it sounds like you have many wonderful um, things that you could contribute to this podcast in the future. But today let's, let's focus on EMDR because I know that this has been um, something that has been technically up and coming for some time now. You're hearing about it more and more, especially with um, veterans with PTSD. I'm, I know that uh, in a lot of the VA programs, they are now offering EMDR and finding it effective for uh, veterans with PTSD, but it's not just used for veterans. Um, it can cover um, a wide scope of, of trauma. Um, so can you explain what EMDR stands for and what it is simplified? Yeah, sure. Um, it stands for eye movement desensitization. I always I know it's desensitizing. <laughs> <Sorry, Mr>. Reprocessing. <laughs> okay, so eye so, movement desensitization and reprocessing. Yes. Okay. EMDR therapy um, was developed in the 1980s by Francine Shapiro. And she found that um, she was like thinking about something difficult while she was walking through the forest and darting her eyes back and forth. And she found that by darting your eyes back and forth with thinking about something that was disturbing um, helped her be able to process through it. So that's how EMDR started and was developed into a therapy. Um, it's, it's really an integrative therapy that helps people deal with trauma and traumatic memories. When we experience trauma, things get frozen in time. Um, it's really about the storage of our memories. And so um, EMDR therapy helps us be able to tap into the memory with using bilateral movement. So the bilateral movement or bilateral stimulation called BLS is our eyes moving back and forth um, while we're thinking about a traumatic memory. And there are also other ways like you can use um buzzers with your hands. Um, you can use things in your ears, uh, the, the sound bilateral sound. Um, but the therapy is really taught with using bilateral eye movement. Um, and, and when we go in, you, you hold this traumatic memory with the bilateral movement and it helps to store the memory properly and neutralizes the memory. And so therefore neutralizes post-traumatic symptoms. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. 
Um, they teach it with saying that the eye movement is the the best. However, I personally, as a client, and I and professionally, I love there are um, these little buzzers that you can hold in your hand. There's one buzzer for each hand, and I have people put them on their legs or hold them in their hands, and it buzzes back and forth from oh. side to side. Okay. And it'll cause people's eyes, like even if your eyes are closed, it causes people's eyes to kind of move back and forth because of the bilateral movement. Okay. That makes sense because like when I listen to something like binaural beats in yeah. my, in my, like with headphones, um, it's bouncing back and forth in, in my ears and I've noticed too, and I had my boyfriend try it. And your eyes want to move with the sound and it seems very, very natural. But I also think that because uh, eye movement is a somatic experience, it's it's a part of your body um, experiencing and tuning into the body, body awareness. But I, I mean, could different types of trauma be, because I know that trauma can be affected by any and all of the senses, your hearing, your sight, your smell, your touch, you know? And so do you think that the buzzer versus the, just the eye movement itself has to do with maybe their, their, their trauma, their experience, and maybe the senses that were affected by that trauma? Uh, I don't think that I do okay. think people have a preference, you know, some people like, um, to, to do with their eyes. Some people like to close their eyes because when you can hold the buzzers, you can close your eyes and kind of go into things. I find a little bit easier than like keeping my eyes open. There is a thing though called over accessors and under accessors. So some people kind of over access emotions and trauma and those people you may want to like help pull them back and yeah. so I will ask people like that maybe to open up their eyes so the experience is less intense uh, okay. and then under accessors like people that have uh, maybe a difficult time getting in touch with their emotions or into the memory I might have them close their eyes so the buzzers just give us a little bit more flexibility with that okay that makes sense Okay. And so I I know that you described it a little bit more, but like kind of walk through the process. You have a client coming in for the very first time, uh, trying EMDR. Um, I know that it can be pretty intensive. There's eight phases to it. Um, Can you kind of describe like what that process is for a client? Yeah, sure. Um, So yes, there are eight phases. Um, you start out with history taking, right? I need to get to know you. I need to know um, what your trauma history is. Um, There are different places in EMDR that we can start. Like we can start in the past. We can start with present triggers and we can start in a future template as well. So there there's three places that we can start. Okay. They find that when you start with the earliest childhood trauma, it tends to generalize more. So mm-hmm. we typically try to get at some of those early memories. Some people don't have access to those early memories. Right. Um, so that's also going to, you know, um, impact where we start. Okay. I'm wanting to know, like, are you, do you disassociate a lot? 
Um, are you able to handle your emotions? You know, have you, uh, I don't know if you're familiar at all with polyvagal theory, but I use some of that, okay. you know, explaining to people, a lot of people that have trauma have been in fight or flight their entire lives. And they, they kind of go from fight or flight to numbing out disassociation um, and switching back and forth in between these two states. And not knowing how to get into the parasympathetic. Exactly. Rest and digest. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And I have heard of people, I've had clients actually call me saying, I got re-traumatized doing EMDR. I, I haven't had anybody, I haven't had that experience myself or with a client. Um, but I think, you know, start really understanding where people are, how people, you know, regulate their emotions, um, you know, how much they've even dealt with, how much they've talked about this stuff. So really understanding where a person is. And we might start out with like more polyvagal stuff. Okay. So how do we get into rest and digest, you know, what are skills that you can start using to get out of fight or flight or disassociate. And also if somebody is disassociating a lot, you don't want that to happen during reprocessing because you're not going to reprocess the trauma. Then you may end up re-traumatizing them. Right. Because when you're doing EMDR, they can be thinking about a memory, right? And yes. that memory can elicit the dissociating, right? Yeah. So people disassociate, it's called the window of tolerance, right? Okay. We all have this window of tolerance of our ability to be able to experience emotions without going into fight or flight or dis or numbing out and disassociating. A lot of people that have trauma, their window of tolerance has gotten very small. Mm-hmm. And so part of the work in polyvagal theory too is um, and EMDR is being able to increase somebody's window of tolerance. So okay. what do you, what do you do when you experience a lot of emotions? What skills can you use? You know, how can you start regulating yourself on a daily basis? Because when we start EMDR, it's going to be difficult most likely <laughs> because okay. we're, you know, people's trauma, you know, people have different kinds of trauma or different you know, some, there's complex PTSD, there's PTSD. Um, but yeah, we want to prepare them and give them the skills. So as things get worse, they know what to do. Okay. So Um, like if, if I were to come in and, you know, say that, um, you know, I've, I've dealt with trauma and I tend to get triggered very easily, or this is what triggers me. And I just lock up or I, I react, um, in a very negative way. You're able to kind of calm that and be able to not have them, like you said, be triggered or dissociate, um, or react, um, so, uh, less intensely or less, um, uh, with less sensitivity is, is that right? Yeah, kind of like, and when you do get triggered, you know, what skills are you going to use to bring yourself down? I mean, a lot of people don't even know what emotions they're feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. So even just some emotion regulation, um, help, like what are emotions, um, giving them a feeling list. So, so yeah, so many, different skills to kind of help people with being able to, I I do a lot of um, 
teaching them about trauma, teaching them about PTSD, right? Providing them information. It's so relieving for people to understand like what a flashback is, that they're not crazy, right? That this stuff has gotten trapped inside their body and the the past becomes present and we're no longer living in the present. We're living in the past, but we're still in the present and it feels totally crazy. <laughs> right, right. Because I mean, our, our physical self, our physical self is always in the present. It's just right. the emotional, the mental, the psychological self can get trapped in the past. And, you know, our emotions are a natural physiological occurrence or a response in the body um, that need to be healthily processed and cycled. And I understand that with trauma, what can just automatically unconsciously happen is that the brain has an interesting way of um, blocking out a memory to to create this form of protection which can be good but it can also be detrimental because again it shuts down those emotions it shuts down that processing and then you don't even know maybe even what your, your trauma is or what those emotions are that you're that you're holding on to right Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I talk to people about like a lot of people feel very judgmental of themselves that they, they disassociate. It's a natural biological process. Mm-hmm. It's the way that your body protected us or protected you. You know, when you are, have an experience that is way too overwhelming to be able to digest, you're going to split off from that. And it's going to become disassociated. And that was the way your body protected you. And that's totally normal and okay. And so in EMDR, we want to go back though and like reprocess some of that stuff and help people feel safe enough to be able to go back there, you know? And so part of the therapy too, is the relationship with the therapist and the client. There's so many things that go into people feeling safe you know, uh, in polyvagal theory, they talk about even the environment, your office space, the sounds, you know, because your autonomic nervous system is constantly scanning the environment. This all happens on an unconscious level for threat and danger. And when you have trauma, right, many different things get picked up. So anyway, helping people feel safe enough to even be able to go back into these memories. Yeah. You have to be really aware of, again, like how you speak to them and how you interact with them and the environment that the space that you're in is, is feeling safe. And so you not only are providing a service, but you are creating that space, that safe space for them. And a lot of people say, well, EMDR didn't work or talk therapy didn't work. And it may be because one of those elements was off, you know, um, they weren't ready for it. The environment, the therapist just wasn't suitable for them. It wasn't providing them. So it's not necessarily that the, um, therapy, um, doesn't work. I mean, I've heard that before, but I think that there is an element that's usually off, um, that wasn't, uh, in the best interest of the client to be able to help them or have that, that, uh, therapy be effective. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I personally love EMDR. um, And I don't think it works for everybody. Um, I think there are people that it doesn't work for people that don't like it. And that is totally okay. Like you have to find what works for you. Yeah. And there's so much out there, so much out there that so much. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
So another part, going back to the original question, as we're getting people ready to process or reprocess um, different things, um, there's a thing called resourcing in EMDR. So when we do reprocessing of traumatic material, you do fast movements, whether it's fast eye movements, fast buzzing back and forth, that helps reprocess quickly through the material. When you are trying to enhance emotions or enhance an experience, you do slow bilateral movements and that enhances whatever you are bringing up. So you help people. Well, we There's a exercise called the safe place. That's something that you do before you start reprocessing. The container exercise, we do that. And then um, just, at, you know, what do you think you need in order to like go back and look at this memory? What do you think you would need to look at some of this trauma? Oh, I need more um, confidence. I need to be more grounded. Okay, can you think of a time in your life where you felt really grounded or you felt really confident? And then we have people get into that state and then like really kind of to enhance that and bring that out and then imagine, have them imagine using that resource while they're okay. So now I want you to run the movie of like how you're going to reprocess this trauma with this resource because you know, things are going to get rough mm. and and you can do resourcing all throughout therapy, you know, of just helping people build their skills and their resources. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole point too, you know, is providing them tools and resources that they can tap into on their own, uh, in their own, uh, life when they're not, you know, receiving EMDR. So, um, it's required their, their work and their effort, um, in the healing process. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the point of EMDR is we're, we're trying to, these trauma gets like trapped in our bodies and our brains and it's, it's dysfunctionally stored. Mm-hmm. So there are traumatic memories. You can actually, it gets stored as that state of when you were a child. Mm-hmm. So you can see how that becomes very unhelpful as an adult, right? right? When that child part that's triggered is now that's where the past is present is now in the present and you're not dealing with actually what's happening in the present you're triggered and you're bringing that past stuff that's current but it none of this happens on a conscious level it's oftentimes people don't even know they're triggered so that's also just helping people understand what does it feel like when you've been triggered Okay. Um, and what can you do, you know, when you get triggered? Yeah. So, so much psychoeducation, you know, that goes into people that are first walking in and like, oh, I want to deal with trauma. You know, sometimes people have been like, oh, I've tried all these other things or I've done all this work, but there's still this other element. Um, but you want, there's called an adaptive memory. Um, and we want, to connect this dysfunctional material with the adaptive part of our brain. And that's what you're doing in EMDR is you're, you're reprocessing through and attaching it with the adaptive part of our brains, which helps us learn new skills, you know, our self-esteem grounding, things like that. Okay. Yeah. And, um, I, I understand that like our nervous system, um, and our neurological system, 
um, basically what happens is a lot of people are using this, this term right now is hardwired. And I don't like saying hardwired, but, um, uh, it's, it's pretty ingrained in, in, um, in our nervous system, um, how to react or feel or respond to, you know, our past, to our trauma, to our traumatic experiences and stress and whatnot. And so a part of what you're saying is that, that, that adaptive part of us is the kind of like rewiring ourselves to adapt or to respond in a lighter way, in a healthier way. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so how often would one be receiving EMDR? Because you said it's, it's in eight phases. Can you kind of describe the eight phases and how often they would be receiving it? Yeah. So I said the history taking, you're doing resourcing, you're doing preparation, you're helping the person stabilize. Um, and then you're going to do, you're going to figure out what you want to target collectively as the, with the therapist and client, what, what makes the most sense to start targeting first. And so you're going to pick an area and there's many different ways to do that, but you're going to pick an area of where you want to start. I mean, some people, you know, have the dysfunctional or the traumatic memories like, oh, there's this terrible memory. I remember when I was four years old, then, you know, that, that might be easy. And then we start there, but we, so we pick a memory and then you attach the memory with a negative, whatever the negative cognition is with that memory. So it's always an I am statement. I am unlovable. I'm not safe. I'm not good enough. And then um, you, what does the client want to believe about themselves? You know, I am lovable. I am safe. Um, and then we start the bilateral stimulation they we have the client hold together the most disturbing part of the memory, the negative cognition, where you feel it in your body. When you bring up that memory, where do you feel it in your body? And then we start the bilateral and the client goes into the memory. Um, and this is the really one of the cool things I think about just healing in general is our brains and our bodies want to be at a state of homeostasis. They want to, it wants to heal. And whatever comes up is what needs to come up for the person to heal. So memory is held in images, body sensations, beliefs, um, emotions. So it's not like sometimes a coherent, you know, memory will come up and people remember things that they had, they're like, oh my God, I had no idea that's what happened. Like, you know, they'll remember a piece of a memory and then the rest of it will come up in EMDR. Hmm. Sometimes it's just like, you know, a really intense body experience or an emotional release or, you know, um, I definitely have clients that have sexual abuse histories and they will have body sensations of when we're reprocessing the sexual abuse. Hmm all normal and natural. And that happens like during reprocessing. But I always say to your, um, the EMDR is not putting anything in. We're taking it out. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's just letting all that stuff 
and and oh, and this is where the dual awareness uh, the, a person has to be able to hold dual awareness because I don't want you to go back into the memory and relive it. I want you to be able, you need to be able to keep awareness of me in this office space and us together. And then also one foot in the past. Okay. So you need to know that you're in both places because going back and reliving it is re-traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so of course that, that, that physical connection or physiological connection of the eye movement or the buzzers, your voice yes. is reminding them to stay in the present moment as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on the client, like I may even give like, you're, you're safe. You're okay. Remember that it's past it's done because the emotions come up as from that past memory, but it's not happening currently, obviously. So, but reminding people that they are safe here now. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, so is there a certain, um, like timeline as far as how often one would be receiving or going through these eight phases or does it kind of vary? I mean, it definitely varies. Um, I mean, sometimes, and people don't often don't like this answer because I know we all want like, oh, it takes five sessions and then you will be cured <laughs> or this memory will be, you know, completely neutral. Just give me a recipe, you know? No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, yeah. Some people take, you know, one or two sessions to process through a memory. I've had clients take several months to process through one memory. I, you know, the faster you process through things, they actually recommend an EMDR 90 minute sessions. Most people don't want to do that. And processing can be really exhausting, but the faster you process through stuff, the quicker you get through it basically. And so especially people that are going, you know, dealing with some intense trauma, you don't want to wait two weeks to come back and see me That's true, (laughs) because we open this up and it's going to, it's, it's not like it just closes after the session. You continue to reprocess after you leave. Yeah. And so even coming in twice a week, I I do have some people that come in twice a week um, because just to kind of get through it um, is the, it's going to give you the most relief. Mm -hmm. But they're still like we were talking about a little bit ago, they are still working on stuff on their own in between sessions, right? Those resources and tools that you're providing them, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, if you just kind of kick them out the door without anything to do, things can resurface, things can kind of get a little messy and they won't know how to handle it. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, sorry, people can always know they can call. And they, you know, that, that I'm there, they can call me if things get rough, like during the week, just because oh, sometimes we just need somebody to say, Hey, I'm, well, first of all, I, I'm on the journey with them, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I'm on this journey with you and yeah, what you're experiencing right now in between sessions is normal. And it helps them not feel alone. Yes. Too. And that's very, yeah. important. very important. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that you have that educational piece. And that may be another reason why um, people haven't had success with different types of therapies is because maybe they weren't educated in what they were receiving or um, given the tools and resources to tap into in between sessions. And so I think you have to have all of those elements in place in order to have it, you know, hopefully be effective. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So 
has EMDR helped you in your personal healing? Do you want to talk about any of that? Sure. Um, I do. Yes, it has. The, the simple answer is yes, it's been, um, I've done a lot of different healing modalities and for my personal self and EMDR has been for me the most effective. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it is, it has changed my life. It has, um, brought me freedom. I don't know that I'm done. I don't think that you ever finish working on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, but have I, I mean, I could give you very concrete examples of like triggers that I had that then no longer are triggers anymore that have like completely changed for me. And just the, you know, the way I think about life, you know, I'm able to talk about my history without, um, really having any emotions, you know, it becomes just a story instead of this extremely emotional, traumatic thing. That's what I've heard with the EMDR. I remember listening to a podcast, somebody talking about EMDR and they, you know, would provide EMDR, but they had also experienced it themselves. And that was a lot to do with it is that you're able to think back on this traumatic event or, uh, you know, experience in your life and not being able to have such that intense emotion or such a negative emotion to that. It's just a memory recall now. Right. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and I tell a lot of people it. who are listening, who probably have trauma goes, that's impossible, but possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've had, I tell clients that, that the, so, you know, whatever memory that you pick the goal is so, so we always put a suds, SUD stands for subjective units of distress. It's a scale from zero to 10 where zero is neutral and 10 is the most disturbing ever. And we have them rate the memory and the memory will go to a zero. We're not done with the target until the memory is a zero. And so sometimes what happens is it's hard to bring up the memory. Your trauma never goes away, right? It's not like you're going to forget it, but it becomes, I've had that experience personally where then I, 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 it's difficult for me to pull the memories back up visually in my head. Whereas, you know, when, when you haven't worked on any of the trauma, you're like, you can talk about it and you're like seeing the full scene in your head. And, and as you know, you, you reprocess through things, it's like, it's hard for me to even pull it up. I know it happened. Right. But I can't pull the whole thing up visually. Right. Right. Yeah. That can be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can understand that, you know, you're providing something that was effective for you. I hear that a lot. And so mm-hmm. I think it's important that you're like, oh my God, this works for me. I want to share it with other people. I think that's fantastic. Um, and so I'm gathering that you know, when you experienced EMDR, you had an open mind about it. You were allowing yourself to be receptive for it. Do you believe that that is something that uh, a client coming in for the first time, it's a good idea for them to be kind of open-minded and receptive to receiving EMDR or can they kind of be shut down? Can they be fearful? Can they be a little bit um, standoffish or, um, or hesitant about receiving it? Will that affect the treatment? 
Uh, I mean, I think you always need to have an open mind, right? And I also think people are fearful when they start because they don't know what's going to come up. Do I think being fearful affects the EMDR? Not really. Um, but that's why we do the resourcing and try to help people become less fearful about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's always, I, I think, I think the desire to heal and the desire to want to change, I, I, I think that is impactful in healing, right? Because yeah. Well, I mean, you have com- people coming to you because they're choosing to, because they want that, right? Correct. Being pushed by some weird entity into the door. It was yes. their own choosing. Yes. Yes. And outpatient therapy, because I worked in partial hospitalization and outpatient therapy, people are choosing to pay you money to heal. So it, it's typically different. Yeah. They, they're not going to come in and waste their money and not want to heal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, talking to my clients too, in the past uh, for massage and Reiki and whatnot, I, you know, they would always ask me questions about the, the, you know, the process, like, when will I get better? How often should I come in? So on and so forth. How will I know when I need to come in again? And I'm like, you knew that you needed to come in today. And I was just like, I always educate them on that piece that you are in the driver's seat of your healing journey of your healing process. And you yeah. took coming in here today. So, I mean, you, you know, this, I'm just here to be, to facilitate this process or this journey for you. I'm just here with you on it, but this is all you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that you say that. Um, I, I agree. Like I don't heal anyone, right. I hold, I hold space <laughs> and I am educated in trauma and EMDR, but I actually don't heal you. You heal you. Um, yeah, so and people, people need to hear that people need to hear that and be reminded that they, they, um, you know, you want to make them feel empowered to, to take that step and they, you know, made that step to come in and see you in the first place. And so that brings a sense of empowerment. Um, and so to continue to empower them and just remind them, Hey, I'm just here for the ride with you, um, mm-hmm. to support you and, you know, facilitate and provide resource for you. Yeah. 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 It does bring up something else for me though. Like I, I go back and forth in this, in my own practice right now of my old therapist, she was wonderful and amazing. I spent like almost 12 years with her, I think, or 10 years. And, um, but I, I wish that she would have pushed me for me. I wish she would have pushed me more and really explained to me like what trauma was and why you should really deal with this. And so I do think everybody has their own healing path, you know, and if somebody doesn't want to deal with something, that's, that's definitely okay. Right. It's not. And I do think I do tell people, you know, these are the benefits of dealing with trauma. Like you really need to, if you want to have a better quality of life and, and have these things, like you, you have to deal with your trauma. So it's not forcing, it's just educating and you just educate it and you let it be in their hands. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we want to kind of finish off like the phases that one would go through with EMDR. So explain those. Yeah. So when you're reprocessing, reprocessing the memory, right. And I talked about, you want the suds to go from a 10 to a zero. That's the desensitized. <laughs> can't say that word. That it's, it, that's that phase. And so when the memory gets down to a zero, 
we then do an installation of the positive cognition that the person wants. So if the, if the negative cognition was I'm unlovable and the positive cognition is I am lovable, we have them after the memory gets to a zero, we have them hold the memory with the positive cognition of I am lovable. And if there's anything left to process, that will come up. And if not, then you're strengthening that positive core belief of I am lovable paired with that memory. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we have them do a body scan. So you hold the memory in your mind and the positive cognition and you run from the top of your head all the way down the tips of your toes. Are there any areas of tightness, weird sensation, tingling? And because obviously things are stored in the body and we want to know if there's anything that we kind of missed out and left. Um, And if the body scan is clear, um, then they have completed the target and we would move on to... um, the next target or whatever makes sense for their treatment plan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A lot of what, what you've been describing, I've, I've utilized in my own practice uh, as well, making sure that they're doing like they're tuning into their body and they're listening to their body and to not judge it, but um, just, you know, be curious and notice. And if anything, you know, comes up to, to let me know and, you know, finishing off, you know, do you feel anything lingering in the body that still needs to be addressed? And, um, I think that's so important. The somatic focus, and this is just me and what I've observed and what I've experienced in my life is that somatic tuning into the body has been like the most effective, seems to be the most effective for people when healing with trauma and working through emotions because it's stored in the body and it makes sense. So, you know, there's EMDR, there's different types of therapies out there that are somatic practices. EMDR is one of them that brings in that somatic um, um, aspect to that. And it makes sense to be bringing in a somatic therapy to unlock or process what is trapped in the body. Yeah. Yes. I 100% agree with everything you just said. Yeah, you. in order to deal with trauma, you got to go into the body. And it doesn't matter if you use EMDR, there's other types of therapies, there's other things that you can do to go into the body, but you must go into the body and, and yep. deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we just talked about how there are different somatic therapies out there. Um, somatic sequencing practices such as EFT, emotional freedom technique, which I practice. So is there like, um, are you able to kind of de- describe like what sets apart EMDR from these other practices? Um, is there anything like that would really differentiate it or? So I can't, I don't know a lot about the other practices. So it's, it, it would be hard for me to answer, I guess, that question like wholly. And um, I will tell you as personally, I have done breath work every week this mm-hmm. entire year since January, every <laughs> single Wednesday, circular breath work. And um, that has been extremely life-changing for me. And now with that experience, I'm like, oh my gosh, if people had the, the resources, I would recommend breath work and EMDR, even mm-hmm. though EMDR does deal with the body, but the breath work really drops you into the body, mm-hmm. you know, even more so in EMDR, in my opinion. Um the thing that EMDR does that I love 
for me, I'm very cerebral. I like things to make sense. I like to connect the dots. It, it, and in breath work, my breath work coach always tells me the story doesn't matter. You know, the memory doesn't matter. You just focus on the physical sensations in your body and breathe through them, which has been amazing. And I also need the, to connect the dots with the story. And that's what EMDR really has done and is like opened up. Like it gives you so much insight into your life. And, oh my God, this is the why, way I've been, be, why I've been behaving this way all these years. I had no idea it was a trauma response. For me, that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. So that's EMDR definitely gives that to you. Yeah. Yeah. So really, I think it is kind of like the person's preference, what feels comfortable, what feels right, what feels effective. I hear mm-hmm. a lot of people forcing them to just focus on breath work and only breath work or, you know, this or that. And they're like, it's not working. I'm not feeling comfortable doing this. Um, and so I think it's important to, you know, not necessarily force yourself, but allow yourself to experience different types of, of therapies or, uh, different types of, you know, sequencing types of modalities such as EMDR or uh, EFT or whatnot, because you might find that a combination of something is probably going to be the most effective for you. One thing might help, but if you kind of put it all together and create a smorgasbord for yourself of different types of, you know, therapies and resources and techniques, you know, you're bound to find some sort of a, like a little, like, you know, coming through that, that tunnel that you're trying to get through. And, uh, you, you may find that that combination is going to be the most effective for you. So don't think that there's just one therapy or one modality that you have to utilize. Like you're saying, when you're working with clients, you're giving different tools and resources such as breath work and things like mm-hmm. that to take home with them. So again, you're, you're giving them that smorgasbord to, to, to use. Right. Yeah, I I actually don't think that one therapy heals anybody. Mm-hmm. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. So even people that come in, they're like, "Oh, EMDR is going to heal me." No, it's not. Mm-hmm. It, the heal the healing journey is so dynamic, right? I mean, massage, breath work, um, naturopathic medicine. Uh, there's so many different areas that you have to address and go into. Shamanism. I've studied shamanism. Um, that has had a major impact on my healing. So there's so many different, um, modalities I think that are used in, in healing. Yeah. Well, and there's so many layers to us and oh, yeah. levels of consciousness that, that <laughs> yes. the healing, right. So yeah. it's not just the physical self or the emotional self, there's the spiritual self. There's, yes. you know, there's all kinds of aspects of us that I think need to be brought in. And it, the reason why I like the word holistic is because it is like this whole package and it, there's no cookie cutter. Um, yeah. there's no certain direction that one must go in order to, uh, you know, work through trauma, overcome trauma, heal. And I like what we were talking about earlier about the healing process is that you're never done healing. And so I don't like, you know, there's, there's no such thing as being healed. Like you're, no. you're completely, um, hundred percent healed. You're healing and you're always healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to the trauma too, a lot of people think that, you know, hearing the word trauma, even to me, it seems like, ah, big, scary, intense, but not all trauma is that way. I like to kind of call them like micro traumas or hidden traumas, yeah. um, yes. microscopic, you know, things that you, to, you'd be like that, that's what 
is triggering me. That's what I'm holding on to. Like, it seems so minuscule, but it affected you in a great way. And so, you know, understanding that I, you know, there is a piece of, of trauma, um, you know, that can be unresolved in anybody and to uncover that, uh, and process it can be so freeing. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, that's what I I describe. Yes. There's like complex PTSD, right? There's people think of trauma as like, Oh, I was held up at gunpoint. Yeah, of course. Obvious. Like that's trauma, but there are so many, it's like any, anything that we were unable to metabolize in any given moment becomes stored dysfunctionally in our body. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, they can be, it can be smaller things or just even emotions that um, like, I'll give you an example, a personal example. I was very lonely as a child and, and I had no idea that that was trauma, but I couldn't, I couldn't feel that loneliness in in its fullness as a child. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I had to go back right as an adult and feel that and understand how that impacted me. But one wouldn't necessarily think that feeling lonely as a child was traumatic. Yeah. You know, that's to me, I think that's a whole other subject subject that we can, that we can tap into and, and, and dissect because I have childhood trauma, but you hear that and you're thinking, oh no, what have you been through? Um, I have a very loving family. My parents are still married to this day and they love each other. Like you wouldn't believe and all that, but I too felt alone, but it was how I was raised. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that there's, um, epigenetic influence as well. So, you know, the stuff that my mom and my parents were going through when I was in the womb, when I was young, I'm slowly starting to understand what I was exposed to that I didn't have control over that. I wasn't even aware of. And just now, 43 years later, I'm going, Oh, okay. That's what's going on. That's why I am the way I am. So yeah, I mean, this is something that I've been focusing on recently is um, how we are raised. There's a lot of aspect we can't avoid the mental or emotional impact that we're faced with when we're young enough to not even know what's going on. Um, to to verbalize it, to know what's going on and being able to handle it, it's going to come up later in life. And so what you're doing is, is being able to go, Hey, you know, this, this is all attached. And now we're being able to take care of it because now you're recognizing that something that happened in your past, in your childhood that you probably didn't even know was a trauma or a trigger. um, We can now address it. And, you know, that's, that's just the way it is, but you know, being able to have the resources out there now for people to tap into. A lot of people are doing that inner child healing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a big thing right now. And so EMDR can, can help with that. Yes. We do a lot of inner child healing with EMDR. And I love that you brought all of that up, Lori, because we could probably have a whole podcast on that. But another area of interest of mine that I'm really interested in, and I've done a lot of healing myself. I don't know exactly how to facilitate the healing yet with other people, or or I'm like fine tuning the ways I should say to, to facilitate the healing, but ancestral healing. Mm-hmm. The, the trauma that has gone through this is not started in this generation. generation it did not start with your parents it did not start with your grandparents so it, it's generational mm-hmm. and, and that's actually helped me 
kind of lift up to and take a larger perspective of like, you know, being so angry at my mother, the, the guides one time showed me like my mother's like a spoke in the wheel, right? She's just one of many. So it, it really, the trauma comes down generationally ancestral and like we, but we have to heal that. And I've also heard something really cool that the trauma goes down either seven to 10 generations. But when we heal trauma, not only are we healing our ancestors, but we're healing forward like seven generations. Right. Yes. We're the daughter. So that's so yes. important. We're, we're, we're cutting that cord on both sides so that we're like in, in to me, I think that's very empowering because you're like, I'm stopping the cycle. I'm yes. stopping the cycle from it moving forward. Yes. Yeah. That would be a great topic to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Emily. So what is one like takeaway message that you want to provide the listener today? I, you know, I think that healing your trauma is everybody deserves to free themselves. Everybody deserves to heal. Everybody has trauma as well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there could, they can be those micro traumas or large traumas, but um we, and and not only when we heal, that also goes out to the collective as well. So we're, we're, we're helping the collective consciousness as well. When we heal, um, it's worth it. I think it's worth it for your children, for your grandchildren, for your neighbors to, to, to heal and deal with your trauma. Absolutely. Good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, to wrap this up, I have a quick fire round of questions that I ask each of my guests. So mm-hmm. it's about your personal healing journey. Um, and so you don't have to, you know, elaborate, but these are just quick fire questions for you to answer. And so the the title of the segment is fixed, fucked, freed. So I'm going to ask three questions. So the first question is, what in your healing process, so in your healing journey, what is something that temporarily fixed you like a band-aid? You thought it was going to work. It kind of worked for a little bit and then it just kind of backfired or fizzled out or had adverse reactions. Um, probably like trying to eat well and exercise and meditate. I mean, those were all like amazing things, but it, and it only took me so far. Mm-hmm. It didn't backfire on me. I still do all those things, but it only took me so far. Right. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So what is something that just completely fucked you up from the beginning? Like it wasn't a good choice for your well-being to begin with. Probably not trying to feel emotions. Mm. up until I think I went to graduate school, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to feel emotions. I'm not going to do that. Not going to go there. And I spent many years trying to, I share this with clients. Like I I get it. I've been there. I'm like, I'm not going to feel emotions. Emotions are crap. (laughs) Not going to do them. Yeah. Yeah. We need to be able to express those. Correct. All right. So then what is something that freed you that just really was the answer or solution for your healing process and your healing journey? I mean, probably EMDR. I mean, there's other things too, but the biggest thing I think has probably been the EMDR that has freed me. Awesome. 
Yeah. And I'm so thankful for that. You finding something that works for you and sharing it with others. And I really appreciate you doing what you do and coming onto this podcast and sharing all of this information. And I really want to have you back on and we'll talk about the whole childhood stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. We could probably make a list of topics. <laughs> I bet we could. I bet. We could. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Lori. You so much, Emily. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. So the one thing I ask guests and the listeners to be mindful about it is any scientific claims and the validity of holistic practices since my podcast is about bridging the gap between the two. Therefore, needing scientific data and sources to back up any claims made. And you can refer to all of this in the scientific references in my link tree at Healing with Sway, all one word, uh, which you can also find in the text of my podcast and each episode. Lastly, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to my podcast so that you will get notifications of new episodes. Have a topic request or a question? Send me an email. Healing with Sway, that's all one word, Healing with Sway, S-W-A-Y, at Outlook.com. I'd love to hear from you. Be well. Be well.